Navigating the Datascape with Warner Chavez and special guests. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Datascape podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the early days of SQL Server 2022. This is the latest release of the database flagship product from Microsoft. It has been G8 since... Uh, when did it actually come out in GA, Fabiano? You remember? Uh, I have no idea now. November? Somewhere, November yeah, somewhere in last year, yeah. Yeah, it's been out for a, basically a, a quarter. Um, and today with me is Fabiano Amorim and Marcelo Adade, two guys that are SQL Server gurus, Microsoft Data Platform MVPs, and principal consultants that every day they breathe and sleep and live a SQL Server. So thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today. And first, I want to get uh, your thoughts, both Fabiano and Marcelo, for the people that are not familiar with the SQL Server uh, 2022 story. What were some of the biggest uh, features that were the main drivers of this release? Because sometimes you guys remember, for example, SQL Server 2012 availability groups was like the flagship feature. We had SQL 2014 in memory, OLTP became flagship feature. Um, and so on, right? 2016 maybe was Query Store? I don't remember. But there's usually a couple of things that are really um, important in the product to make it a full release. Thoughts there? What were the main biggest features, biggest drivers for 2022 value? Uh, Microsoft has been saying, first things first, Warren, thank you very much for inviting us to, to the podcast. Um, first things first, uh, Microsoft has been marketing that uh, this is the most uh, Azure enabled uh, SQL Server yet released, right? Uh, we have we have features like the link feature for managed instance where you can use your uh, your availability groups to connect to a man managed instance uh, offering. You can use uh, you can link your SQL Server 2022 instance to uh, to an Azure Synapse as well. There are there are many other there are many other features that are pertained to uh, high availability, like uh, contained contained AGs, and also Query Store now works on the second on the secondaries. I would say for uh, as a flagship, this is like the connection the intrinsic connection to Azure is the most like the most relevant flagship for that for that release. Fabiano, do you have any any options? Any sorry, any opinion on that? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I would say Warner, this is kind of um, two main set of features. Not in, so it's a bit different than the other uh, versions that was main, like in the in memory you mentioned, uh, availability group. I would say the combination of uh, what Marcel mentioned. So high availability, let's call them high availability features, plus the, the feature that the Microsoft had been working for a while, which is the intelligent query processing uh, feature. So it's a performance tuning set of features plus the high availability scenarios that were expanded to cover more cloud um, links and uh, supports. There's a value pitch there that if you are in Azure, then this is a, 
an amazing release, right? Marcelo's point, you have all these different integrations to Azure, make it really easy to go into Azure. Flip side to that story, of course, is if you are not in Azure, what is the bigger driver for migrating? Is there one or two big features that are not Azure dependent? And I'm, I mean, if you're on SQL Server 2012, you're 10, 10 years behind, I, I'm pretty sure there's a really good reason to upgrade to 2022, right? Because there's so many features and the code base itself has improved a ton in 10 years. But if you are in SQL, let's say 2019, and you are not in Azure, is there a big driver there? Uh, honestly, I don't think so, no. Um, mm. And this is kind of sad to, to say it because for 19, I was really excited on the features. Um, so I was I used to say... 19, a lot uh, of IQP stuff, right? Exactly. That's why I was really excited about 19 because you, just by changing the compatibility level for 19, you suddenly have a lot of interesting automatic query optimizations that maybe would fix a lot of your performance problems. Um, so they, yeah, they do expanded those set of features on 22, but um, not as much as they did yeah, on 19. 19 was very drastic yeah. in all the things that they exactly. added. Yeah. All right. And then there's and another... Make... Sorry, go ahead, Marcel. Uh, no worries. Uh, and to make things even worse, uh, if you have SQL Server 19, SQL Server 16 as well, with all the service packs, you can also you can still use the link to manage an instance. They they only released the feature with SQL Server 2022, but it's not it's not exclusive to SQL Server 2022. Oh, that's so there's, nice. So it's backported. There's, there's that. I didn't yeah, know that. It, I didn't know that. Okay. So yeah. what is the, what is the feature? Can you explain better to the people that are not familiar with it? What is this, sure. this, this particular feature? Yep. If you have a, if you have an always on availability groups on premises, entirely on premises, and you want to, for example, create another replica, you want to leverage, well, Azure, Microsoft's cloud, uh, in order to increase the reliability, in order to increase uh, the number of replicas to offload some of your reporting capabilities and also to have uh, somewhere to fail to in case your data center your data center data center fails or something like that you're now able to uh, create a replica based on your managed instance which is something which is a, a platform as a service service from Azure, it's not. Uh, it's fully. It's almost fully managed uh, by Microsoft. It's not something. Uh, it's not like an infrastructure as a service. It's not a VM in Azure. It's. Uh, it's a real. It, it's a real platform as a service. Uh, service from Microsoft. So, you can have. You can have part of your availability group in your on your on-prem environment, and you can have the other part or another replica on your uh using using azure as well yeah in a fully managed instance not not a vm exactly. that you have to connect 
and you have to maintain have the backup to and you have you to have, patch yeah. it and do all the other stuff. Exactly. Okay, I, I did not know that this particular feature had been also enabled back all the way to SQL 2016. So this is good and bad. I mean, it's bad if you're mm -hmm. trying to find exclusive features of 2022, but it is very good in terms of trying to get more people to adopt Azure in particular, right? Because yeah. imagine how many thousands of people are on 2016, for mm -hmm. example. Right. And now mm -hmm. they can have this option of saying, and even you could say it as a migration path, right? Would you be able to say, like, hey, instead of upgrading to SQL 2022, why don't you just migrate SQL 2016 to SQL managed instance in Azure through this mechanism that we have backported to SQL 2016? And then forget about SQL 2022. You're already in Azure on exactly. managed instance, and you're then you're on like the, the latest release every month. You'll have new bits under the scenes, right? The way that Microsoft, because Microsoft both owns the on-prem software as well yeah. as the cloud platform, they yeah. find themselves in a position that maybe only Oracle might be in, right? AWS or Google don't find themselves in this position, which is that their own products compete with each other, right? So yep. you have you have to convince exactly. people or people have so many options that is now if you want to run a SQL database, you have Azure SQL database, which is like the flagship service in Azure for databases. Mm -hmm. Then you yep. have managed instance. Then you have SQL Server on-prem. Then you have Azure Arc as well. If you want to run Azure Arc for DB services, I think that was the official name that it has, right? If you want to run... SQL database or SQL managed instance on-prem, you can do it through Azure Arc. So now there's so many different ways to actually um, run the SQL Server product, right? I mean, what do you guys think? Is this good or bad? Is it too many options? Is it just fine? No, I think it's always good to have as many options as possible. Um, yes, of course, it's difficult to understand how the specifics on each version of the product because it's really that's what you need fabiano for product, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but i think it's good it's good to have different options different prices different regions to support different latencies and etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think it's good Absolutely. and just a small note on the backported features um they actually backported as well in the i i saw the article about it a few days ago a feature that it's automatically fix conflicts in the moot write transaction replication. So you might have two <laughs> transactions trying to do, two replications trying to do a write. They conflict because um, they're one changed and the other one also changed something. So they have a kind of a feature called the last write wins automatic conflict that was, that was added to what peer-to-peer -peer replication yeah yeah peer-to-peer -peer replication yeah, I'm not, yeah. yeah yeah the peer-to-peer -peer replication has existed in the product since what 2008 something Eight. like that right yeah. it's a long yeah. It's, yeah it's a feature that's been in the product for a long time they haven't updated anything to it in yeah. 12 years and then suddenly now there's a new feature and it's also <laughs> even backported must be yeah. that some very, very, very important client decided huh? that uh, they wanted peer-to-peer -peer replication, right? Um, what about hardware requirements? Has any of that changed in terms of, especially for standard edition? Remember the amount of cores that you're allowed, the amount of memory. Is that all still the same in 2022? Is it looking better? 
or or is pretty much the same uh, from the previous years? Yeah, as far as I remember. So what is it now? 16, 16 V cores. How much RAM? Uh, 24. 24 V cores. Oh, 24 V cores. Pretty good. Yeah, if I recall correctly. For standard edition, it's pretty good. Yeah, for standard. Uh, we're not going to talk about web edition here. Is there uh, a web edition still? There yes, is, yeah. but only yeah? for no. resellers. Okay. Or okay. So it's not like you can just buy it or anything. Okay. No, you need to no. prove that you're a reseller or a host. That or you're actually doing company. that. I see. Yeah. Okay. And uh, 128 gigs of RAM. 128 gigs of RAM still for standard. Okay, mm -hmm, I know this yeah. is a big sticking point, the RAM mm -hmm, itself, right? Yeah. A lot of people complain all the time that uh, exactly. 24 cores is, is still pretty good for a lot of workloads, especially on standard edition. But a lot of people have complained about the 128. It's been 128 for a while, huh? Since what, 2016, I think? 16 or something like that. 16 what? or 14 even, I think. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been recall. almost, it could be, yeah. I mean, it's about seven years it, let's say it's 16 i'm pretty sure in 16 it was still 128 gigs so that's already seven years where they yeah. kept it at 128 gigs of ram right for for standard edition yeah 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 what we've seen uh, ever since uh sql server 2016 is microsoft uh microsoft gradually gradually releasing enterprise edition features to standard letting the standard edition customers play uh, or use the the actual premium enterprise enterprise features some of them of course like tde uh compression yeah column even, store even is now standard yeah. like, is there any uh, still any, any huge even availability group is standard now as long as you only want it for ha with no no read yeah. uh read only workload right it's just for ha mm -hmm. the basic yeah, that, availability that group that, right that haven't changed at all yeah. all the all the performance improvements all the intelligent query processing features are enterprise only all of them oh yeah even yeah. in 2019 it was like that i don't remember it was yeah mm, so okay. pretty much yeah pretty much all of the new performance fancy features are enterprise only so you will get or maybe you've seen this uh, out in the field is do you see clients that just get big boosts by just switching edition Yes, I have seen this for 19 and here at PTN, we worked in a um, few clients supporting them to migrate to 2022. And as part of this migration, one of the things we do is kind of stress their workload in a um, test environment with the 22 installed and backup restored. And then we compare the specific features that were um, used and they provided performance improvements for their queries and also identified, of course, the regressions. So, and we have seen some very, very nice improvements just by switching the compatibility level and enable, enabling those features. We were able to um, have queries, especially queries that were taking a lot of time to run, running in parallel that are benefiting of the DOP feedback feature, for instance, and now it's switching the number of um, CPUs running in the query and uh, reducing it the whole workload restore CPU usage and um, providing benefit not only for the query that was running, but uh, other queries that were waiting for CPU because there was one huge 
um, statement running and taking most of the resources. So yeah, um, just like it happened for 19, we have seen some very nice results by the up to, um, intelligent query processing features on 22. That, that's a good, that's a good uh, compelling reason to move from standard to enterprise, right? Um, it's still, I find that obviously there's a big hop in price, right? From standard to enterprise. So you need to be able to really justify why you want to move if you don't need the extra hardware, right? If you already have a database that's so big that you need more than 24 cores, you need more than 128 gigs, then you don't, just don't have a choice, right? You either move to enterprise or uh, or you're just going to have to do some heavy refactoring to be able to stay on, on standard. But from a feature perspective, this is a, a big uh, value proposition to move to enterprise, right? If you just say, look, you don't have to spend any time on development and you will immediately get a big boost in performance, then I can see how you know it could be worth it for many shops to just say, okay, fine, we'll just pay the increased license cost if we can um, make sure that we're gonna get way better performance. How do you do that usually with uh, customers? So right, if if um, let's say I have a standard workload, and you tell me, hey, I think maybe enterprise is going to make things run smoother. How do you usually go about these projects? Do you use like a dev edition to prove it out? Like, what's the usual workflow? Yeah, this is what we usually do. We um, kind of um, upgrade a backup into the latest um, um, evaluation or development edition of SQL. And then we replay their production workload, either a live replay or a saved replay uh, that we capture for maybe a few hours or a few minutes. Then we replay it and try to identify the individual statements. And then we compare the performance between the existing live production performance versus the, the replay we did in 22. I have another question here. If you guys, uh, obviously, it, Microsoft has been investing kind of like in two different parallel tools in terms of um, what you use to work with SQL Server. There's SQL Management Studio, right, that everybody loves, and it's been there in the product since 2005. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, and then Microsoft has also been investing a lot into Azure Data Studio. Uh, do you guys use both of them? Do you guys just keep just using one of them? Do you see, do you have any use? for Data Studio? Have you migrated to Data Studio or are you staying with SSMS? Like what's been your uh, experience so far? I mostly use only SSMS. <laughs> Azure Data Studio is very good for creating the so-called notebooks, right? Yeah. Where you have snippets of codes and the results. It's very good for demoing uh, purposes. And also if you have if you have a Mac and you don't want to use you don't yeah, that's true. SSMS PC. is Windows only, right? That's yeah, Windows, true. and it's yeah. going to be for sure Windows only for its entire life. But uh, other than that, I I tend to use uh, only Management Studio with the with the Redgate tools as well. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, there's a lot of cool little uh, plugins that exist too for Management yeah. Studio after so many years, right? And kind of like Azure okay. Data Studio has to compete with some of that for the DBA crowd. I. I maybe it's more of a data developer data engineer crowd that they're trying to get with azure data studio 
What about you, Fabiano? That's what it SMS like. only? Yes, that's SMS only. And the only um, the only time I tried to switch to Data Studio, as soon as I realized execution plans were not there, um, I switched back to SSMS. They actually included support to uh, graphical execution plans now. So latest release should have that option. But uh, it's a work, work tool in progress, uh, work in progress. And uh, there are some things that are only available on Management Studio yet. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and regarding the intelligent query processing features that I have played um, with most of the time, I do remember when the, they changed the query cardinality estimation in SQL 14, and then people started to migrate and change the compatibility level, and they started to have CPU spiking oh, yeah. to 100% just because they migrated or changed to the compatibility level because of a lot of the plan regressions and et cetera, et cetera. So I think Microsoft kind of learned the lesson at the time, and then now they are trying to uh, let's call it write the features uh, has a V1 and do only for a small subset of queries. And then in the next release, maybe implement the same feature for other set of queries and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and this means those features are really good, but the limitations are huge. Um, just uh, as an example, the parameter-sensitive plan optimization feature. It only works for peer equality comparisons or peer SQL statements. So if you have a select into something, it won't work. Or if you have select column greater than something, it won't work. Um, if you have a table variable, it won't work. And then you have a list of 39 reasons it wouldn't work because you may be using a full text search or the distributed query or CLR function and et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. So the even though the features are really good, to be able to benefit from them, I think, you have to have the specific scenario where they apply the feature and enable the feature. And I honestly, I expect them to expand those uh, to cover more queries and more scenarios. Um, but uh, yeah, for the V1, let's say V, let's call them V1. It's a, just a small subset of statements that would be beneficial of this improvements. So that one that new way of doing so just doing like new feature and small improvements is that also because to people that are not familiar or might not be familiar with this we Microsoft doesn't do big service packs anymore right it's supposed to be just cumulative updates and cumulative updates you guys can correct me if I'm wrong but they are supposed to be more frequent than service packs right yeah, yeah. every every correct. 3 months even though they do not really follow their own roles. But yeah, in theory, well, it's, every a, three it's, a, it's an objective, right? <laughs> so they, they try to target every three months a new cumulative update. Yeah, it's their goal. Yeah. OK. Because then that Speaking would make sense feature, why you, you try to do that, right? Yeah. Exactly. Speaking of feature maturi maturity, 
uh, Fabiano, um, Query Store has been around since SQL 2016, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, and now it's only enabled uh, enabled by default, right? In SQL 2022, it it's a very it's a very nice feature, but they didn't they didn't enable it by default in the in the previous in the previous versions. It's only now that they enable it. Not sure if it's good or bad from a performance perspective. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm always going to think that it's good. Um, it really depends reasons, on the workload for that too, yeah. right? So having Query exactly. Store on or not, um, I, I've seen and I read about people where it was really a bad idea, but it was also due to other issues, right? The classic um, workload that doesn't parameterize anything, right? And it just does like yeah. the same uh query over and over and over with a small change and then it never gets it it always gets uh cached separately and then query store suddenly has you know a million different cached plans right so you know do we blame query store in that case or is it an issue that the client needs to really exactly. fix their workload at that point right and this happens with a lot of features too right if people turn them on and then they don't get the benefit that they expect but a lot of it is well is it a feature that's an issue or is it also just how the customer is trying to use it right that might be another problem as well yeah yeah for those ad hoc query scenarios um they actually have now an option that you could limit what it's being captured because you remember they have the automatic option and then query star internally would decide whether this one was one query that was interesting to be stored, but now you have a lot of other options like the number of executions, the cumulative CPU usage for one specific query. Until it hits that threshold, it wouldn't be captured at all and things like that. So it's, um, so it's working uh, with more advanced options the, to cover those scenarios that we would have problems by enabling cursor. where do we see this going now as well like as people start doing their migration uh projects do you think that people will start testing more of the features that go into azure do people just focus more on the on-prem like what is what we usually see with our customers now are most sql server customers looking into azure is that where most of the value is coming from or are they mostly just focused on on-prem features do you want to try to answer that marcelo otherwise i can i think i can our cust our customers are pretty well split i'd say yeah some of them some of them have some of them have some workloads in in azure and when we lay out the when we lay out the the new benefits from linked linked features they they sound excited but they're not willing to change just yet we have one case one case in particular and in particular and it's a it's a multi -cloud, multi cloud uh, a multi cloud environment um one of our customers was using uh, s3 buckets to to perform to store uh, their sql server backups and they had to use a third-party tool to um, 
to push those backups uh, straight straight ahead from SQL Server. I don't remember the name of the tool right now. I'm sorry, but uh, they were using one third party tool to do the, to do that. And uh, the minute they saw a new feature on SQL Server 2022, that where now the backup to URL is also S3 compatible, they went. Uh, crazy for testing that let's let's start testing that right now we need to migrate right now because then we can ditch the 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 tool that we use the third party tool that we use and then we can do backups uh, straight ahead to our s s3 bucket well uh at that time we didn't have we didn't have cumulative update one for uh, for sql server 2022 yet and all of our all of our tests were successful successful enough but we still recommended them to wait for the cumulative update uh, to be released before before starting to move ahead with the with the migration. Now that's that's one compelling factor to uh, to migrate. One one good one good resource, for example, that Microsoft added as well, which should have been added in a long time. But that's only my opinion. Fabiano, sorry, I think I could I cut you off. No, no worries. Um, yeah, in my opinion, Warner, I think um, most of the cases we I have seen, the clients are really just trying to fix a problem, and that's the main reason they are trying to upgrade to a new release and not really taking advantage of new features. So they are just chasing their own problems and trying to fix their problems and not explore the opportunities of new features and um, alternative solutions that they could use in the product. Like, uh, should we upgrade to 22 just because we had to create a PowerShell script to back up our database to S3 and now it has a new feature? Instead of, should we consider um, the managed instance link and then kind of the try a POC on that feature and see if it's really worthy to migrate to um, uh, to explore one specific business scenario that uh, we we are having. So I'm still seeing, and this is not new for 22. It's just for all the releases. In my experience, people are not exploring the new features. They're just trying to fix their problems. And that's the main reason they're migrating and upgrading for. Yeah, that's a historical things. problem that I've observed. Too. Like, and I'm yeah. pretty sure it's not just with SQL Server. I'm, I'm, I think it's with any of these other these products, right? Um, SQL, Oracle, Postgres, whatever, RDBMS you might be using. Um, they are so feature rich, right? Over the years, they've gained so much functionality that for a lot of customers it is pretty overwhelming or they don't just don't have the time or resources to explore yeah. all the different features and you know every few years there's new stuff that you should try right it's 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 somewhat difficult i mean this is where uh we come into as well right as, as doing consulting or services where we can help a customer evaluate if a particular release is a good fit for them or not right um right. How are we looking in terms of support? Like what's the oldest version of SQL Server that's still supported today? Would it be 2012? Is it still 2008? I don't know. 
Yeah, okay. I think it's 14, 14. extended support. Um, I, yeah, it finished the extended support finished next year, somewhere mid mid year next year, I think. Yeah, of 2014. Yeah, 14. Okay. It, yes. Because I'm yeah. pretty sure we we ran some reports a couple of uh, a couple of years ago, and the amount of people that were still running 2012 was huge. It is. Um, yeah. It still yeah, is. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, still is. Yeah, because um, I mean, 20, 2012 is it was a, a pretty good release. They had four years right in between the previous one. It's very stable. People that run it, you know, it's kind of like that. If it's not broken, don't fix it mentality. But then those people are technically out of support at this point, right? So this is another reason it might be compelling to, um, to upgrade, obviously, if you want to get on the good side of uh, of product support, right? To be able to uh, open a case or whatnot, then you should try to at least then consider moving 2012 to 2022. Do you think there's any in particular any issues that might come with a migration so far between the versions? Like if you're, you know, let's say I'm a customer in 2012, what are some of the issues that I might run into moving into 2022 with 10 years in between the two releases? I think the same as always. Same issues that they might be concerned for any change and um that would include the main thing that I would say it's really uh, the plan regression screws performance. It's the main reason people um, quit a migration project because the performance in a new feature, I mean, in a new release that was supposed to be faster is just a lot slower. So I would say the, the main thing that they would be concerned is the plan regressions. The, need to make sure that they're testing, especially changing from 22 um, to um, the 20, uh, sorry, 20, you said 2002, yeah, 2012, sorry. So 12 to 22, uh, there is in the middle, there was the, um, the cardinality estimation change that I mentioned. Uh, you definitely need to test your environment to make sure that uh, you don't have, and I bet you will, um, regress plans in the new version. What what did most customers do, or they still do, if they move from a pre-new cardinality estimator version to the new one, and they do see those regressions? Because it's not, I mean, you can just stay in the old one, but now that is a piece of software that is over 10 years old, right? So what, what did most of these people do? Did they have to rewrite their queries, remodel their database? Like, do you want to what hear was, what, what was they, the fix? Do you want to know what, they're, what they currently do usually or what they should do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both. both. <laughs> well, what they normally do is uh, they migrate and they leave the compact level to 20, 2012 or anything earlier yeah, exactly so that's what i mean then they're leaving active a piece of software that technically is 10 years exactly old, right? there's a scoped oh. option right fabiano there's a scoped yeah. option to adjust to only uh adjust that uh, to disable those uh, those new cardinality estimation uh, yeah. options uh but uh I'll, I'll leave that to fabiano but uh in my opinion a rewrite should be should be the the curse of action but it takes longer of course after you migrate, you need to review all the queries. You need to 
work with your development team. So you need to rewrite. You, you need to rewrite things. Yeah, yeah. Some of some of the solutions and the easiest options is of course set the legacy cardinality summation scope database configuration to off or to on. So enable it. So you keep keep. So that only enables it on one database. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is there a hint to leave it for a particular query? There is. Yes. It's the same okay, name. So I, I can see that as being like the Band-Aid patch, right? So yeah. you upgrade, everything runs well, except maybe two or three queries. Instead of trying to rewrite them, you just go, oh, whatever, and you put a hint that says old optimizer on those three queries, and then you just call it a day, right? I, I don't think they are even changing, having the, 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 changing the query. They are actually using query store to force it back to the old, Group plan. So what they usually do is that they migrate, change, uh, leave the compatibility level into the legacy for one or two days, and then they change it. And when they identify some of the queries are a lot slower, they use query store to identify which was the previous execution plan, and then they force it through the query store, um, and then they leave it there forced forever. Okay. That's kind of like a halfway, halfway yeah. measure. At least that way, you don't have to like put a hint yeah. that forces it to always use the old. I mean, it's yeah. still gonna force the plan, but at least you don't have to like make the query actually ugly. If you can yeah. change the text of the query, right? Because sometimes you can't even do that. So it will yeah. be sometimes it's hard to in inject uh, a hint as yeah. well, right? And talking about hints, the SQL 2022, one of the IQPU features is the CE feedback, so cardinal decimation feedback, uh, which does exactly this. They try to run the same query uh, using a different hint and then see if the hint provides a better version of the query or not. If it does, it automatically forces that hint for every execution of the query. So it's kind of Microsoft trying to fix their own problem of changing the way they estimate the the query, and then they're trying to uh, run other alternatives and see if they estimated um, um, a better. Um, they found a better version of the plan by using a different. That, ma that um, makes a lot algorithm. of sense, though, right? Yeah, because does, a lot of. Yeah. I mean, if you sit down and you think about how you can develop software like this, right? A lot of it, you don't know until you run, yeah. right? So it makes sense that you try to use the information that you have after you actually ran the query at least once to make it run better the next time, right? And the thing before, capacity of the machines and everything, it was really hard to keep track of all this information and make it perform well. But nowadays with you know the modern hardware that we have, then all these things, are easier to implement in the product, right? And, and this is the direction that has been taking for a while now. We've been talking a lot about how, you know, it, the early death of the DBA, how the DBA needs to do this, they need to do more DBAs are, you, we don't need DBAs anymore, right? Even the vendors themselves were saying a lot of, you know, we don't need the DBAs anymore. I, I've, I even, I've created a lot of material about like how it's not really that we don't need DBAs anymore, but DBAs need to be, branching out into other things do you find you know with these new releases of software do you find that it is it easier 
for one DBA to manage more instances at once, or is it still the same? Or is it is is it truly like um, that you can get more density per person managing the databases because of all these things, right? Like the uh, IQP, like the intelligent query processing, and you know how much more stable backups are, how much more stable availability groups are, and so on. Do we need less people now to manage more and more database instances? I think so. Yes. Um especially if you consider cloud environments. But uh, if we are talking about on-prem only, I not really, no. Uh, okay. I think the work is still the same um, unless you have the cloud support to kind of help you with the, some of the tasks that you usually have to do, especially implement new releases, apply sort of cumulative updates and things like that, manage the backups, disk space issues. So some of those things, if you still have on-prem and you have to take care of those, I think it's the same. We still have the maintenance, the good old maintenance tasks that need to yeah. be executed. Yeah. Business Damba stuff are mostly scripted by now also. Right, yeah. like you said, just set them up, and you know, you just kind of like you one time set up, you kind of forget about them after. I mean, I'm sure some big databases will require some fine tuning. Yeah, but a lot of it, the defaults have gotten better over time too. Even the installer has gotten better over time, right? Like the okay. the classic example is how TempDB used to be just one file, and now even the installer tells you how many TempDB files you need to have, and and it will even set it for you, right, while you're installing, so that at least the installer is telling you to follow a best practice instead of just the installer making you do a bad practice, right, with the one TempDB file. So I, I find that they have made it easier for people to do the right thing, at least, right? Even if you're running on-prem, yeah. um, you have to go out of your way to, you know, put the one TempDB file again if you were running that modern installer, right? Uh, something else that I wanted to bring out here for people that might be listening to this is I uh, there were a couple of features that seem to be uh, kind of like out of um, a little bit out of left field in the last release that got cut out of the product. And uh, especially the main one that I'm thinking about is the big data cluster. That feature yeah. is not in the product anymore, right? According to Microsoft documentation, officially discontinued because everything, everything that's the big data cluster cluster did is being done uh, with more with more advantages by their cloud by Azure yeah and and for people that are not familiar with this big data cluster was basically this idea that you would it was it was almost like they embedded the spark installer in SQL server and then you could install a bunch of different SQL server instances to query HDFS clusters, right? And then like interact with like an on-prem Spark with SQL Server. I always thought it seemed like, you know, a little bit too complicated for the most part. Um, there were some people that were curious about it, some interest about it, if you wanted to just like basically centralize with everything Microsoft. But I guess it must have not gotten a lot of adoption at the end because, you know, it's like you said, Marcelo, it's been discontinued out of the product. Also kind of hard, like you mentioned, for Microsoft to have all these resources 
And it's, they have to decide whether do we want to do this big data cluster thing with SQL Server or do we spend uh, those resources making the Synapse, for example, in the cloud better, right? Yeah. And then just telling people, look, if you want to see something that's, you know, SQL Server really well integrated with Spark, why don't you try Synapse Analytics instead, right? It comes bundled with Spark. Synapse Analytics is, is you know, incredibly similar to SQL Server, obviously, the same SQL engine behind the scenes. Um, so that might be the direction that they are taking. I mean, even in the latest product, like you said, there's the Synapse Link feature that allows you to query your on-prem data directly yeah. from Synapse as well, right? Um, point here, uh, are people interested in Synapse? What do you guys see here? Are clients that have SQL Server on-prem as a data warehouse, are they moving to Synapse as a natural fit? Is there still some friction there in terms of migrating? I have not seen as much as I would like to. Um, uh, what I'm seeing is a lot of people still trying to use SQL as their data warehouse um, product on-prem right. on yeah. and then throwing a lot of um, hardware resources and yes, a lot of SMP, really big or, SMP machines, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though they would have a much better alternative, and I would say sometimes a lot cheaper than uh, using their own um, environment. And then I'm expecting this to change if we consider those links of, for instance, <clears throat> um, the better link between on-prem to Synapse and even managed instance or even SQL <clears throat> databases um, has better those links and those integrations are more, I'm kind of expecting the people to use more of those features. Yeah, something interesting is that it's not, we, we're, we've been saying on-prem, but really it's SQL Server, the actual retail product, right? Because if you need a feature of SQL Server specifically, you can install that SQL Server in a VM in Azure and still mm -hmm. use the Synapse link, right? So yeah. it will integrate wherever you might be, right? Um, technically, I guess, does this, I, I haven't tried it, and never used it, but um, could I install the SQL Server 2022 in let's say Google Cloud or AWS and then Synapse link into Synapse as well. Does this work? Does it support it? It does. Yeah, it does. that's pretty it's, cool. It's a, that's pretty cool feature. We're talking about a VM, right? You yeah, like a VM, absolutely, yeah, yeah a VM. Like uh, an AWS EC2 instance, yeah, it works. As long as you have the two... You just uh, need the internet connectivity between yeah, the two. you need the proper connectivity. As long as you have connectivity, it works. Yeah, because that could be something interesting as well, right? It's a way to bring your operational SQL Server data, regardless of whether where it might be. And to your point, Marcelo, is is the Synapse Link another backboarded feature, or is this one just 2022? That's just 2022. Okay, all right. So the only one that was backported was the MI Link then. Yeah. All right, and then what are we? Uh, uh, let's do some uh, some uh, forecasting here. When do we think we will have a new SQL Server? Do we think we're going to have a new SQL Server to equal 2024, 2025? <laughs> what do you guys think? 22 R2. 22 R2. <laughs> 22 R2 in 2024, maybe. My God. Will we go back to two-year release cycles? Or if I, if I had three? to guess, I would say 24, if I had to guess. 
Yeah, I think I think it's going to be back on the two-year um, release. So maybe it kind of makes you think too that the reason why they had to do three years this time is because they lost some productivity because of COVID. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that was the and it, I think they said this um, somewhere in some article. I think I I was reading about it and they mentioned that the COVID kind of delayed this new release. Um, so I would expect they would continue with the two years. Two years cycle. now yeah. that now that everything's uh, back to normal speed. All right. Well, thanks guys for uh, for joining me today. I really appreciate the insight here from Fabiano and Marcelo. Thank you for everybody that is uh, listening. And until next time, bye bye. Navigating the datascape. <laughs> 